To promote my new flower shop, I had one place print my business cards, another print my brochures, and a third, my signs. Now my roses aren't red, my violets aren't blue, my geraniums look dead, and I don't know what to do. Staples can help your business stand out with signs, banners, and brochures that are a true reflection of your company. And now at Staples, spend $50 or more on print and marketing services and get $5 off your next in-store purchase. Now my business is blossoming and I'm spending less green. Exclusions apply. In-store only. And 
right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is Sunday, June 24th, the last show for June 2018. After this is over, we can never get this time of day back again. I can't believe we're halfway through the year. It's, it's just going by quicker and quicker every month. Next week, July. Unbelievable. But I'm glad everybody's here with me today. We're closing out the month of June in a great way. Mark Glabe and Lorraine Gill from Taste of Iron are back on the show. We haven't spoken to them in a couple of years. They just played the Keep It True Festival about a month ago. We'll talk to them all about that and the future plans for the band. And Heidi Black from Blacksmith. She'll be up first at about 6.30 and 20 minutes or so. We got a great one for everybody tonight. Right there, we opened up with Leatherwolf. I love that band back in the day. Big, big fan of them. That first record was tremendous. They had a lot of singers over the years, uh, but Michael Oliveri, who was with them, I want to say for the first four or five records, I think Street Ready or maybe Wide Open was it for him, and then he kind of packed it in, and the band had a couple of different singers after that. He was such a great vocalist, just a tremendous talent, that guy. Uh, I don't know what any of them are doing today. I mean, you know, they, they are kind of together, but you don't really hear much about the band. Uh, uh, so who knows? I know they had a lot of trouble coming up with titles for albums because the first three records the band put out were all called Leatherwolf. <laughs> it was the debut in 84, then EP later on that year called Leatherwolf, and then the other full-length record that came out around 87 called Leatherwolf. And what's been difficult during that part of the year is to come up with original uh, album titles. I don't know. But there you go. Kill and Kill Again. Love those guys. All right, we're going to keep the music flowing for the next half hour or so. we got quite a few new things to get to tonight. Uh, maybe we'll do one of them right now. Tad Morose has a brand new record coming out. He did press last week, but I wasn't around to uh, do the interview, so I'm going to have to see if we can set that up again for the live show. Here's Deprived of Light. Boy! 
Sabotage with Sirens. John Oliva, another amazing vocalist and songwriter and just all-around musician. I miss those guys, you know. I mean, they kind of do like a little Sabotage reunion here and there, but it's not the real Sabotage to me. I mean, with Chris Oliva gone, that can never happen to begin with. His guitar was an integral part of the sound of Sabotage as much as John's songwriting and, and his voice and everything. Uh, but every time they do something with Sabotage, it's always like the Zach Stevens version of Sabotage. And I love Zach. Great singer. I was just never a big fan of that version of, era of Sabotage, you know, but you can kind of still get the band together. I mean, you get Al Petrelli on guitar, Chris Cafferty, one of them. I would love to see them go out doing like the first three or four records. It would be amazing. I mean, I know like John feels like he has no reason to do that anymore. It's kind of behind them. With Trans-Siberian Orchestra, he's making a fortune off of that. So he's not really interested, I guess, in, you know, resurrecting Sabotage, you know, like the semi-classic original version of the band. But you never know. It could happen. Maybe there'd be an offer out there, and, and one day we'll get that. We'll have to wait and see. Everybody kind of knows by now that uh, Vinnie Paul passed away this weekend. I, I was never a Pantera fan, as everybody who listens to the show kind of knows. But nevertheless, it's sad when anybody passes away, especially so young. I think they were saying today that it was a massive heart attack he had. Uh, that's what kind of got him. And, you know, it's been a few musicians this year, as well as other people that have died pretty young from heart attacks. So, uh, you know, got to check it out as you get old. I guess because I'm in my 50s now myself, uh, I'm starting to feel less and less mortal <laughs> as time goes on. So condolences to who has left to his family. And it is kind of sad. Whether you like the band's music or not, or any era of the band or not, it doesn't matter. Somebody passed away, and that's that's kind of sad right there. All right, let's get into one or two more songs. We'll do something new, uh, something old. And then uh, we should be ready for Heidi Black in about 15 minutes or so. Here's Motor Militia with Illuminate. And maybe we'll follow that up with the little uh, Desolation Angels. How does that sound? Oh, 
Inside Sodom, Brandish Acepta. We have Heidi Black on the line right now. Let's connect her and get this interview going. Heidi, you're on the air. How are you? Woo! I'm doing well. Thanks, Mike. How are you? Uh, hey, I'm great. Listen, I'm such a big fan of that first Blacksmith EP, and I was always disappointed that we didn't get more from you after that, but we'll get into that whole story in a little bit. But uh, I have to tell you, I, I played an album to today on, on a regular basis. Oh, that's awesome. I don't I, I have one copy of that album. It's still sealed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well that was that was a great record. I mean, you know, when you think about it, I I think it was like eighty six that it came out, maybe eighty five around that time. Right, right. And, and you guys did that on your own back in the day, right? You put that out on your own? Yeah, it was an independent release. Uh we were able to um acquire funding through friends and family of our band members, and we managed to uh, to put it together. It was recorded at Cathedral Sound Studios in Rensselaer, New York, and that was an old church. So it was a really cool setting to record an album in, and uh, we, just, we had a great time doing it, and it was exciting to be able to do it. So I'm thankful that we did. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think the band was from Albany. Was it Albany that you guys came out of back in the day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Albany yeah. area. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm from, you know, back then Brooklyn, these days Staten Island, but then in New York City. For some reason, New York City doesn't consider anything above Peekskill part of New York. I don't know, I don't know why. That's just the mentality. <laughs> well, you know, you know I, think, I think the impression is that we all have fields full of cows up here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not true. I mean, the Albany area is is so rich in amazing musical and artistic talent. You know, uh, bassist Jack Daly is from here. I mean, amazing guitarist Mike Campese is from here. Mariah Formica, who just slayed everyone on The Voice a couple seasons ago. Uh, yeah. Too much rock and roll for them. But she's from this area. Joey Belladonna um, used to front a cover band here called Triffid. Uh, the Erotics are from Albany. It's it's just we have a plethora of amazing musical talent here and artistic talent too. True. I mean, you know, even like like in the Cortland area, I mean, you had Ronnie James Dio, Manowar came from there, The Rods. A lot of these bands still up that way today. There was a lot going on up there. Uh, was it was it a pretty active scene in the mid '80s, like for bands to keep playing? Yeah, it was tremendous. It was tremendous, and there were so many metal bands here it it was like a family it's still like a family we're all still like a family like all the musicians who were involved with with metal music back then you know we still we still all hang together and we have reunion shows and sometimes i i MC them and it's it's a really great time yeah well, talk about Blacksmith. How did the band all come together? Was it around, was it a couple of years before the EP came out? How did it all start? Yeah, well, it all started, I I wanted to be, uh, to, to front a band for a, a long, long time. I used to, when I was little, I did like community theater and stuff. But um, then one day, I was really little. I got a, somehow ended up with a subscription to Crawdaddy magazine and the runaways were on the cover of the first issue I got. So years later when I was in high school I met uh our guitarist, blacksmith guitarist Dave Smith, and he he always had a band and um the singer that he had at the time I felt 
could be improved upon. So I took it upon myself to say, you know, I should really be your singer. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, we uh, we put our heads together and uh, got a drummer and a bass player, put out um, an ad in the local paper at the time, the local music paper. It was a free paper, Metroland, which is now defunct. And we had a band called Tokyo Rose for a while, which was cool. Um, and then, you know, went through the Spinal Tap series of drummers and bass players until we finally found uh, Tommy Roy and Mike Marino. And we decided to name the band Blacksmiths to combine both of our last names. Well, actually, Heidi Black, I took that from my Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> character, <laughs> which was Angel Black, and I just thought Angel Black sounded way too pretentious, so I went with my real name, and then Heidi Black and Blacksmith, Forgers of Metal, and because we really felt like we had the ideal band at that point when we got Tommy and, and Mike in the band. Yeah, it was it was definitely a solid lineup, and I'm glad that you know you chose the name Black because that means that it went first in the title before Smith, because you could have took Weston and made it like Smith and Weston, but you did Blacksmith. I like that. So you had top billing. <laughs> That's right, ladies first, ladies first. That's right. <laughs> Chivalry but, isn't yeah. dead; it's just cowering in a corner. <laughs> you're, you're right about that. <laughs> well, I, I mean, when you think about it too, I mean. As a fan of metal going back to like, you know, the 70s, you know, hard rock scene in the mid-70s going into the 80s, I didn't, I never felt any different about it, no matter who was fronting a band or in a band. You know, people like, oh, the Runaways or an all-girl band or, or you know, this is that or this one has a female singer. I, it didn't matter to me. If the music was good, I didn't care who was up us. It could have been four monkeys and a giraffe. It never bothered me. never made a difference to me. I didn't look at it any different. But so many ladies say, you know, they had such a hard time back then, you know, dealing with, like, the, I guess the bullshit they came with being a part of a, a male scene. Oh, man. You're not kidding. It, it really was crazy. I mean, every time we traveled uh, to do a gig, you know, a small crowd would gather around when we were getting ready to do our sound check with the arms folded and, oh, what's this bitch gonna do? And, and so <laughs> I would pick, <clears throat> I would just turn to the guys and say, let's do Metal Thrashing Mad. You know, let's do a cover tune that they that they've heard that I'm just gonna f kill it, and and I did, and we did, you know, collectively kill it, and then you know everybody would relax and be like, okay, all right, well, yeah. I guess she's in, she's in, <laughs> you know, but it was crazy because I never really saw that much, uh, I don't know suspicion i guess <laughs> when it came yeah. to bands that were fronted by guys and they were doing their sound check it wasn't like oh let's see if if he can really do it you know yeah well, i, I mean, can really do it yeah you know, it's hard enough being in a band just starting out because you kind of have to prove yourself as a band you know to win fans over but you know you had right. it seems like a double thing for you because you had to like prove yourself as as a female fronted band and as a band and you know it was like twice as hard i would imagine yeah, it 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 did uh it did seem that way for a while, but you know, after a while I just didn't care. I was just like, let's let's just go out and and let's do this and and I guess the love of my love of of the art form really got me past all that. I mean, of course there would always be other musicians who would be like, "Oh, hubba hubba." You know. 
and I'm yeah. like, hey, don't even try it. I'm I'm one of you guys, you know. I'm I'm one of you, so you don't talk to me that way, you know. Or else, Absolutely. give you some of this. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. You got to get tough with them. Well, you yeah, know, I, guess, you did. I did. Upstate New York. I mean, you know. From what I hear, like the shows were amazing. You know, you actually, you know, people forget that when you're in a band, it's more than just getting up there and singing a song. It's it's entertainment in a way. And you have to kind of put on a show. And you were very theatrical in that way, where you where you got up there and you know, you you took command of the stage. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, and and it's weird because I always had a tremendous amount of anxiety and stage fright. I just love to sing and I love metal. So I think that's that helped me to push past it. And then, of course, not wearing pants, you know, is always a plus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you just can't beat the feeling. I'm out there and loving every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. I, I, I mean, you know, I, like I said, the band was around for a couple of years with you in it. The EP comes out. You did it on your own, which, you know, it was metal has always been like a do-it-yourself type of thing for a lot of bands. But putting out your own record, that was taking it to another level. A lot of bands couldn't come up with that kind of funding. And then, you know, they actually recorded it and released it. But you guys did that for the first EP. How did it go afterwards? It went really well. I mean, it was really well received. We got a lot of press, which was amazing. I mean, oh, my God, when the issue of Kerrang! came out with Ozzy on the cover, it was the Castle Donington issue, and I opened up the I opened up the cover page, and boom, there was my picture. There was a little thing about uh, the band and the fact that our EP was out, and, I mean, it's just, you could have knocked me over with a feather. And then right next to it even was a picture of Joey Belladonna and a, a little um, piece about anthrax. And I just was blown away by the reception that we got. And it, it was really cool. We got a, a lot of good press out of it and um, very positive reviews. It, it was just really cool, a really great experience. Yeah. You know, a couple of years after that, I remember going to the record store and buying for, buying the fire from within. I'm looking at the back. I'm like, wait a minute, where's Heidi? Because, you know, there weren't a lot of magazines that reported about bands back in the day, like the local scene. Like I said, a little thing of crying, but not a lot of info. There was no internet, so you didn't really know what was going on with bands until you saw an album in the record store or something. I was like, what the hell happened here? And that was the last I heard from Heidi Black. Plus, I never really cared for the record because, you know, <laughs> I wanted to hear you on it. Oh, oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, I left the band. It was like after we started getting press for the EP, um, you know, we we put press kits together. We sent out hundreds of them everywhere that we could think of. So as our popularity grew and we were getting more and more press, um, a, a lot of the times uh, the publications would put uh, a picture of me instead of, you know, the entire band. And maybe that had something to do with the with the times and the fact that it was a woman-fronted band. I don't know. And and I didn't care. It didn't matter to me, you know. They could have put a picture of any of us there as long as the band was getting the attention. That's all that really mattered and I thought everybody else in the band felt that way, but there it seemed to create some animosity and I was criticized by by one 
band member especially, who kept saying, oh, I don't know, I think this is all going to your head, I think it's going to your head, you're getting egoed out, you're acting really weird. And uh, he seemed to convince the other, my bandmates, that that was the case, and it really wasn't, because I'm, I'm a very spiritual person, and I like to think that I'm humble, and I was just really grateful that we were getting the exposure that we were getting. I feel... I felt at the time that we could really go on and do some really big things. Um, but that caused a lot of, of pain for me and a lot of um, alienation. And I finally said to this, my bandmate, I said, you couldn't be further from the truth. You know, I could go live in a cave and leave all of this behind and never sing in a band again and be perfectly happy and perfectly content. It has nothing to do with my ego. Oh, yeah, right. That was the response I got. So I just got up and walked out. I said, wow. you know what? Fuck it. You're on your own. <laughs> Good luck. Wow. And that was that. You, you can mention the band member. Who was it, George? No, George is awesome. I love George. Oh, that, was, that was David. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. guitar. Like you were saying, you know, the singer is, come on, the singer is always the focal point of every band. The guitar player wants to be, you know, and you have to do a year of <laughs> to get to that point. But, it, you know, it, the focus is always on the singer. It's the front person of the band. It's the one that everybody is, you know, kind of focusing on. Yeah, I was going to, you know, I, I would say it wasn't the bass player, uh, Michael, because bass players don't give a shit about nothing. They just want to get up there and play. They don't care about anything. Right. <laughs> and it's always like the guitar players. I always feel like they have to be in contention with the singers for the attention. I don't know if it's because they feel like they write a lot of the music or whatever, but you would think any attention brought to the band is good attention, whether your picture is on it. It doesn't matter. It's bringing publicity. That's what you need to further the band's career along. Sometimes you got to put the ego behind it and say, you know what, this is good right now, and later on we'll work it out. We'll figure it out. It'll happen later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right and that's what I tried to <clears throat> that's what I tried to do. That's the place I was coming from. But um you know, it just wasn't working. So so I had to leave. And and I did not go live in a cave, although I'm not ruling that out. <laughs> <laughs> but I've done a lot of things since then and you know, it's funny cuz after I left the band, I married the guy who was our lighting designer for a time before he went big time. And um, so I was lucky enough to go on tour with him, um, with the band he was uh, tour manager for and lighting designer for. So I got to spend a lot of time with uh, bands like Testament and Pantera and, you know, Green Jello back in the day, and yeah. um, Rathchild America, which uh, the drummer at the time, Shannon Larkin, now he's with Godsmack, so we were all really close and really good friends. I got to go to Castle Donington for Monsters of Rock. I worked as production assistant for Iron Maiden during that that show, and I got to go through Europe with those guys, and this has just been amazing. Then I went into radio, I became a broadcast journalist, and I got to meet Jimmy Page and Robert Plant and Steven Tyler and Joe Perry, and I just have done so many good things sticking with my rock and roll roots, you know what I mean? Yeah. It definitely sounds like a life lived. I mean, you've been everywhere and done it. I mean, that's kind of the way to go. 
it's awesome. I, I've yeah. had a great time, and I, I don't intend on stopping. But, you know, some friends of mine, like I said, it's a really uh, close community, metal community and musical community around here. So uh, my musician friends do reach out to me every now and then. Hey, Heidi, you know, you want to put down some tracks on this or you want to sing with us sometime? And I, I, I think I will, you know, why not? I'm not, uh, I'm not being obstructed anymore by anything. So I think it would be fun. Oh, I hope you do. I, I mean, I would love to hear you do some of those old blacksmith tunes, like live or you know, re-record them and, and anything else that you can come up with. It would be incredible. I mean, the next time I really even heard, I mean, like I said, another band came out with another record you weren't a part of, but the next time I really heard about anything was when Heaven and Hell Records kind of released a Strike While the Iron is Hot. And we got to hear all these songs again, and it kind of brought it to you know, a whole new audience 20-something years after you know, the first albums came out. And a lot of those albums were impossible to find anywhere uh, you know, at that point in time, especially the EP that you were on. Right. Oh, my God. That blew my mind. And <clears throat> Jeremy Golden, Heaven and Hell Records, I, you know, kudos to him and, and his label for doing that, because that, that was really amazing. And I wanted more than anything to be a part of of that revival. I wanted everyone who was in the band, whether it was George or Tommy, but definitely Mike Marino and me, as well as Dave, you know, I wanted us all to be a part of that, and it just it just didn't work out that way, unfortunately. And even now, like my friend Holly, Holly Stas, she puts together some really great rock and roll benefits here. There was a, a club here called Saratoga Winners where so many amazing artists have performed. It, it's burned to the ground now, but back in the yeah. day, it was it was just amazing. Everybody played there. Uh, from Pantera to Iggy Pop, you know, and it was a club. But she puts together these reunions, and so the next one is coming up uh, in the spring of 2019, and she reached out to me, maybe, you know, a blacksmith reunion? And uh, Dave had commented on something I put on my Heidi Black, uh, my public Heidi Black Facebook page about uh, a song that I had co-written with him, uh, Black Attack, which is my favorite blacksmith song, because I co-wrote it. And I remember writing it, the lyrics, uh, on a plane ride, sitting next to an English teacher. And Dave got on there and wrote, oh, you co-wrote it, huh? Hmm, that's interesting. And I, and I just took a screenshot of it, and I sent it to Holly. I said, well, there's your answer as far as a reunion goes. <laughs> but she said, well, even, you know, we decided even if... I did some blacksmith songs with another band that's playing there. That would be fine. So I think I think that's a good idea. Why not? Yeah, I, I agree. I would too. You would think after all these years, 20-something years, it wouldn't be so petty anymore. You know, it, it should be fun right now. I mean, the days of the 80s are over. I mean, there's not going to be any more, you know, breakthroughs of bands. are going to be headlining arenas and making a fortune. You think now, right. you know, for the, for the fans that love this music, that everybody could just get together and play and have a good time and not, like, you know, hold grudges and, you know, keep it going. It just seems so petty to me. It is. It's insane. But, you know, I guess I guess musicians and creative people in general maybe are a little nutty <laughs> in, in their own way. <laughs> I don't know. But it, it, it would be cool. I wish – I really wish that we could do that, you know, all in good fun because cause that's what it's all about. 
True, true, very true. Well, I mean, after you did leave the band back in the eighties, did you think about jumping right into another band, like into another metal band to get it going, or was it just something that you just weren't really even interested in at the time? Yeah, I think I had a little PTSD from my experience, um, <laughs> so I had to go and you know pull myself together. I actually I spent a lot of many years studying comparative religion and and learning about aromatherapy and and studying thelema and just all kinds of great things that were very enlightening for me and very healing and helped me to get past uh, any negativity that that was still surrounding me from from that experience so I never really thought of jumping into another band right away and then I guess time just got away from me. Here we are, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it, it just slipped by. It went the last years to go by pretty quick. <laughs> it is. You know, it's not a lot of time in the in the life of a mountain, but <laughs> <to> true. Us, <laughs> it, it did go by quick. I have two great kids too, and yeah. uh, it's you know, it is what it is. I know. I, I say that every week. I could come on the show. I'm like, wait a minute. Didn't I just do a show a week ago and say it was like, you know, February? Now it's already July. And I mean, I, I don't know if it's just because we're getting older and time just seems to be moving faster and faster, pushing us to the end. Or if it's just, you know, the way life goes. <laughs> yeah, I think it just it just goes by that way. You know, unless you're you're stuck at work and then, of course, doesn't go by very quickly at all, does it? <laughs> no. No, that's a God's honest truth. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been lucky because I've been working in radio for the past 20 years, and it's it's just been awesome. You know, I, I used to say every day, oh, beats working. I mean, I did work hard because I was a reporter, so there's a tremendous amount of research and fact-checking and, you know, digging and interviewing and all kinds of stuff involved in that. But I really enjoyed it, so... It was it was good. Yeah. So I guess it's not all fake news then. Is that safe to say? No fake news, <laughs> no siree. But I I was lucky because I could always um, pretty much do what I wanted. So I tend to stay away from the negative stuff and try to find really cool stuff to report on, things that would impact the listener directly, but not in a negative way so like uh hey it's international martini day you know <laughs> that would be the first story <laughs> just to get everybody kind of in a good mood sure. there's enough crap in the world you know that and we're inundated with it constantly so i i like that, to try to find good things to to tell people about that they may not know it might help them yeah. who knows that's the God's honest truth. I feel like the older I get, the less tolerance I have for all the nonsense. I just want to enjoy the time I have left and not, you know, dwell on anything negative. It sounds easier yeah. said than done, but, you know, unfortunately, maybe I should try the aromatherapy. <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> I've got my diffusers all over the house. It just doesn't seem to be working. Maybe I need to do something else. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll mix you up a special blend and send it to you. Ah, that sounds great. You know how you're talking about, like, you know, being in broadcast. I mean, was that a difficult field to break into? Not really. I, I <laughs> It was really um, – I had been working retail, and I worked for the Nature Company 
which was based out of Berkeley, California. And I became the mineral department expert. And it was just a really, really cool company and a really cool store. So I was happy. Um, but then they closed. And I worked at stores here in Albany area. Then I lived in Maryland for a while. And I worked for stores down there. I also worked for Meteor Lights down there, too, which they've done a lot of uh, production work for Iron Maiden and ACDC and stuff. But anyway, back to the retail thing. So the uh, the store closed when I moved back to New York. The store closed. I was heartbroken. I was going to go work at another store. And I just realized I felt like I was in Indiana Jones. You know, I felt like the, like the wall was coming down and I was getting trapped in there and I had to get out before it shut or I would be doomed. Yeah. So I went to uh, this place here called the New School of Radio and Television at the time. I said, well, I can talk. I just need to know how to run the equipment. And so I went and I learned how to run the equipment. And before I graduated... I was hired at the 50,000-watt classic rock station here, which was awesome. Like, they hired me on the spot, and it was great. And I kept telling my, my friends, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go work for PIX 106. And because when Jimmy Page and Robert Plant reunite, and they will, the <laughs> biggest classic rock station in this area is going to sponsor this concert, and they're going to play in Albany, and I'm going to get to meet them because I'm going to work at that radio station. <laughs> and that was like the whole impetus for me to go and do this, and it it worked. I was like, what? It did. That it was did great. Work. It was awesome. how, was it the, how was it the first time on air? It was good. I I did the overnight, and my friend John Clark, who's kind of famous in this area for being the overnight guy, he never sees the light of day. He lives on Mountain Dew, and he lives in the dark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, I, it was during his show, so he gave me, I think it was an hour, you know, to go in and do do my thing, and I did it, and he left. You know, I was on my own, so it was cool. And he came back in and looked at me, and this is why we're friends. He looked at me, and he was like, wow, that was really good. You sounded really good. And I was like, oh, thank you. And it's crazy because then I had to learn to run the board for our boss, who did a live broadcast once a week during lunchtime, right? So I was nervous about going to meet the guy who was going to teach me to run the board. His name was Mad Dog. And everybody's like, oh, wait till you meet Mad Dog. Oh, boy. So I'm like, oh, geez. So I walked in, you know, I'm like, hi, my name's Heidi. I know you're Mad Dog. He goes, I know who you are. I have your EP. I was like, get out of here. He goes, you signed it for me. (laughs) So... There it was, you know, um, my days in blacksmith have always come back to me in a positive way, and that was one of the most positive. Absolutely, that's great. I mean, did it take, I mean, like, when you're on the air and you're talking, like, you know, in radio, you know, nobody's out there, there's nobody in front of you. It's not like when you're playing live on stage as an audience and you're getting instant feedback and reaction, you play off it. You're talking into a microphone, it's going out over the air, and you don't know if anybody's listening, if anybody can hear you. Is that something that took you a while to get adjusted to? Uh, no. Because I always just imagined that there was nobody listening to me. <laughs> I was just there, like, entertaining myself. 
<laughs> or speaking to like one person, you know, like talking yeah. to a friend of mine or something, and uh, and it was cool. Now it, it is different though. It's different. You're right from performing in front of an audience um, because you do get that immediate feedback, which which was always surprising and amazing to me. It is. It is different. I remember the first time I did, I did this show, like 10 years ago, you know, I'm talking and I'm stopping. And I'm like, people like, there's dead air. I'm like, oh, I'm not used to that. I'm waiting for somebody to talk back. Like, you forget sometimes that you got to keep <laughs> it going no matter what. And I'm like, there's like so much dead air. I listen to the show. I was like, I wonder if the microphone was working. <laughs> then you realize, you know, it's just you're not talking. It's it's a weird thing to get used to. It is. It is. It's weird. but But it's good. It's fun. You know, it they're is. equally as fun, I think, in their own way. Absolutely. Hey, well, Heidi, I'm not going to keep you. I have another guest coming on a little bit. I want to play a couple of tunes off that first great Blacksmith EP. I hope you do something again, like musically, and start recording and putting out new music. I miss hearing your voice on record. Oh, thank you. That just means so much to me, you know. I I was so surprised and pleasantly surprised when, when Jeremy got a hold of me and said that you were interested in, in speaking with me. And he said, you know, people want to hear from me. And I just thought, really? Wow. Yeah. That's, that's cool, <laughs> you know. So thank you so much. That really means a lot. And I will definitely keep you posted as to uh, any future endeavors. Ah, that sounds great, Heidi. You have a great summer. I know it's going to get cold up and open in a few months, so enjoy while the weather's still warm. Yeah, we're having a delightfully dreary day today. I don't know what the hell happened to summer, but uh, thank you. (laughs) I hope you have a great summer, too. (laughs) You, too. It was good talking to you. Take care of yourself. Hey, thank you. You, too. Bye-bye, Heidi. Bye-bye. All right, Heidi Black from that first great Blacksmith EP. Let's play a couple of songs off of that before we get to Taste of Iron.
All right, Blacksmith with the Blacksmith. I want to thank Heidi Black for being a part of tonight's show. Real fun person to talk to. We have Mark Glabe and Lorraine Gill coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Uh, we'll play one or two more tunes between now and then. Uh, I saw that Sebastian Bach, uh, you know we, you know how much we love him over here on the show. <laughs> he was just saying how he just signed a new uh, record contract with a U.S. label and is about to release a career-defining solo metal record. Now, if he hasn't made a defining record in his career by now, after almost 30 years, I don't think it's ever going to happen. I'm no fan of Sebastian Bach. <laughs> I think everybody knows that around here. But if he couldn't make that record back in the 80s with Skid Row, he's not going to make it in this climate, in this environment right now. He just talks a lot of shit, that guy. Unbelievable. All right, let's jump into the music. We'll get in, uh, let me see, how about we do some Enforcer? And then this is the one from Chicago, not the one from Sweden. And then we'll play some Taste of Vine and we'll reach out to Mark and Lorraine right after that. Here you go, High Treason. Thank you. 
Chris Devine off the resurrection record, The Gates. Let's give out a call to Mark and Lorraine right now. Let me dig up the number and dial it. You know, before I was bouncing around on Facebook and uh, I saw a picture of uh, Arthur Brown from the crazy world of Arthur Brown. Uh, somebody was wishing him a happy 76th birthday. And right under that was a post by Mark Biederman. <laughs> I have to tell you, uh, from Blind Delusion, I'm sorry, case people know, they look exactly alike. It was like a separated birth type of thing. So go check out a picture of both of them. And Mark's about 20-something years younger. <laughs> it was real funny. All right, let's reach out to Mark and Lorraine. Hang on. Let's dial this in. Ba-ba-ba. There we go. Hello? Mark, this is Mike. You're on the air. How are you? I'm doing good. Hi, oh, Mike. Good, man. Hi, Lorraine. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. What about yourself? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's been about five years since we spoke. It's been quite a long time, and, and a lot's been going on with the band. And, uh, you know, I keep hearing about this performance at the Keep It True Festival about a month ago, and you just blew people away because they're still talking about what you guys did. Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So how was it over there for that show? Well, I'd have to say it was to to this date it was the highlight of my uh my career as a you know, playing music, playing in a metal band. You know, the German people were wonderful, the festival was so well organized and it just you know, really nothing no downers, nothing nothing bad to say about it just a really wonderful experience yeah everybody says it's like going in a time capsule in a way and you know going back to those glory days where things were just perfect for metal absolutely we had a, i mean the people that the, the patrons of the festival just they were really into the metal that was being played and and you could tell that they just had this strong love for heavy metal and it was it was a beautiful thing it was the most comfortable I have ever been on stage. Wow, that's great. You know, when you think about it, the band's been around since 1982. I mean, that's a long time. I mean, I know there was a lot of downtime in between when the band wasn't together. But just thinking about that, I mean, it really starts to make me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were just talking a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, about? About being old. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the things that kind of happen that go along with that, but I, you know, I still feel, um, there was, uh, there were some questions. I got some questions from, uh, one person at the festival and they were kind of surprised that I was still able to sing the music. Like I was able to sing it way back when and asked me how, and I said, well, it, it just takes a lot of work. You know, I have a lot of work goes into it just to kind of maintain the older you get. True. That That is one of the problems. But you did say, I saw the videos. You sounded amazing. The whole band, I mean, I, after seeing that, like, why didn't I go? Like, you wish you were there because, you know, it's, a, it's such a rare thing when you get to see a band like yourselves play live anywhere, you know, especially in front of an audience like that. You just have to really appreciate it that much more. Thank you so much, Mike. And thank you for all the, the good feedback about the videos. Yeah, the band looked great, man. I'm hoping that this catapults the band into doing a lot more now and getting even more active. Because when you think about it, I mean, back in the day, the band around '82 was started. You, you kind of, you, you know, it kind of had a short run. Did it end around '86, maybe '87? The first time. That's about right. 
Yeah, it ended in '86. I think our last our last show was uh, played at the Troubadour in 1986. Wow. Well, not I, our, I, you know, our last show before back. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Because when you think when, when you think about it, the, the band kind of broke up. When metal was at its pinnacle, like around '86, that's when it really like exploded. Like all you know, all the different genres were taking off, and people were getting more and more into it. And you guys kind of ended at that point in time. That's right. It was almost like we we were sort of heralding it in, and then and then we dropped away for a time. Yeah, because in 1982, the scene, you know, like the underground metal scene here in the U.S. was just starting to take off. Things like Metallica coming out, Slayer just starting, you guys, and a lot of other groups. It really wasn't that big in 1982. It was still really, really underground back then. And and being in Washington State, there weren't a lot of great bands in that area at that time. But was it enough to sustain the scene and to keep it going for like the local bands? Well, you had, you know, Queensryche was coming out at that time. You had a band uh, out of Seattle called Culprit that's, you know, kind of maintained a cult uh, following throughout the years. They were they were uh, doing a lot. You had um, uh, Q5. Yeah. It was right around that area, era. So, I mean, there, there was a metal scene growing at that time, for sure. There seemed to be a lot of energy, even though it was just starting, there was a lot of energy behind it. Yeah, Metal Church was oh, also right around the same metal. time. A lot of interest, a lot of people got behind it. It's just a huge fan base. And so I'm not surprised that it's, it's continued. True. And, you know, I remember when Resurrection came out, I think it was on Iron Records back in, in the day, if I recall. And it was just like this totally brutal record. I mean, three-minute songs, it was just like a, like a, a bombardment. At that time, and I remember when the EP came out a year or two later, the band started to get more refined. The sound started expanding. There was definitely a change, you know, between the Resurrection record and the EP. I think that's true. Yeah. There we there was some we were evolving into we were evolving into what we probably would have eventually become had we had we stayed together. But I'm surprised that people, that there's still a following, that there's still a market for the Resurrection album if you can find an original one. Yeah, it's almost impossible today, but they were just recently re-released that, and the Metal Beast was just recently uh, re-released, weren't they? Yes. Yes, there, it was uh, put out on uh, on vinyl by uh, Blood and Iron Records out of Portugal on the, uh, as, a, as a vinyl re-release. The Resurrection yeah. was re-released in, on CD form with Skull Records, and then uh, then we did a two CD release after that with the uh, the Cold and Hell EP added to it. The Cold and Hell EP, I remember it was quite a, maybe six years ago that I first heard about that. When was all that music recorded for that? Two thousand twelve. So that was done by one of the last times the band reunited. Um, it was done, what, three years after we, uh, got back together, we did DEP, and it was released in 2013 on School Records. Yeah. Yeah, just, it was right around, it was released right around the time that we had our, our interview with you. And yeah, they, I, they, I remember. It just come out on School Records. 
So that had four songs on it, and two of those songs went on our, our new album that uh, that we just released that we decided to call it actually as a title, Taste of Iron. And that has nice. not... That hasn't really hit uh, everywhere yet, but we did sell them when we were at the Keep It True Festival. So there was about, there's been about a hundred of them distributed at, at this point, just a handful. Did you guys do this on your own? Did you put this one out on your own? Yes, we did. Um, we were uh, working with Bart Gabriel to uh, put it on Skull Records, but uh, we kind of ran into a roadblock with our. Uh, our guitar player was murdered last year. Um, I remember hearing about that, yeah. And we were not done with the recording. We have some uh, plans to go in and redo some of the stuff. We're going to change some things around. And um, With him, uh, his untimely passing, we were not able to do that. So we decided to keep the album as it was and release it and keep all of his tracks intact. So it is a dedication to Steve Dale. Yeah, I, I, do, I do remember hearing about that. I'm sorry that you know to hear about that that it happened, but the band did forge on. You know, you, you did keep going after that. Yeah. Yeah, we, you know, with the help of our friend Steve Stefanowicz, who um, who contacted us and stepped in as our guitarist, and we are so very grateful. We. We were able to keep our our obligation of going to play at the Keep It True Festival because that was still that was already that was or we were already asked to do that before Steve Gale died and so Steve agreed to come and play at the Keep It True Festival with us and he he is now a member of our band. He is a very prolific musician. He plays in many bands. He's an amazing guitar player. Um but he has agreed for this time to be our guitarist. That's great. I'm glad. I mean, are you going to try to keep going with the festival right now? Maybe just hook up on these summer festivals? Are you looking to maybe get out and play more? I know it's not as easy as it sounds because, you know, everybody's moved on. We have families, jobs, commitments. It's not like you can just take off and you know, randomly play everywhere. But are you looking to kind of branch out more out of the Washington area if you could? I would love to, frankly. Um, we We do all – all of the the band members have a lot of familial and just work obligations. It is tough, and especially trying to trying to get all of our schedules all at once. You know, having openings in all of our schedules all at once, and being able to make commitments. But I think that is ultimately our goal. We we have talked about doing some traveling outside of the Northwest, and we all just really think it sounds like so much fun. But um, we we will have to do some things to work in that direction at this point. Yeah. There's quite a few festivals popping up here in the U.S. I mean, they're not as big as the European ones. I get that. They're smaller venues. But they do, you know, fill up a nice audience. And I know there are a lot of people that would love to see you guys live, especially here on the East Coast. A lot of diehard fans for many years, if not decades. I would love to come to the East Coast and play play a festival. I think that would be a total blast. If you have, uh, I am. I'm going to have to mention your name to a few promoters okay. here for next year. Well, excellent. Perhaps we can talk about it and be in touch about that. Yeah, that so would we be did great. The, uh, Northwest Metal Fest uh, was a month and a half before we went to Germany, 
Then we did the Keep It True Festival, and we're doing a, a small festival, uh, the Ording Rock Festival, that is uh, here in the Northwest in the, the, the little town of Ording. Mm-hmm. But we're doing that as well. So, yeah, festivals, uh, it's a good, it's definitely fun. It's fun to do. Um, you get to meet some great people, yeah. get to meet great other musicians, excellent bands, people that really support and promote metal and just music in general. Yeah, the Northwest Metal Fest went off really well. That, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was that was good. That was a two night two night event. Called it El, El Corazon in Seattle. Yes. Yeah. That sounds great. I mean, you know, coming from like a time when, you know, everything was like kind of do it yourself. And in a way, it's like that today also. But putting out the record on your own today, bands did that back then. But, you know, we have the Internet now. Does the Internet help a band out in any way? Or does it kind of make it more difficult for a band? Because it seems like it's so easy to get your stuff out there that people kind of like say, you know what? I'll look at it later. I'll check it out later. I'll get to it later. Where back in the day when somebody did something, you kind of had to show up because it was like the one and only shot to get it or see it or do it. Absolutely. I think in some ways it's helpful. I think you get heard about um, from a larger audience in some ways. In some ways that is a hindrance because the market is um, the market on the internet. Internet is saturated. It's yeah. Just, so um, it is a different world. I've noticed coming from the '80s where things were done in a certain way, and coming into this time and how things are really done in some ways very differently. Is it difficult to adapt tough. to the new ways? Is it, was it difficult to adapt to the new wave, the, you know, the new business model, the new way that music is? Because you guys were out of it for quite some time, you know, before reuniting. No, I don't think it was really difficult to adapt. I think it's just, you know, it's what we do. So it's just, you know, it's pretty natural. It comes natural. You know, it's not... It's not like we're trying to be anything that we're not. Yeah. No. For me, it's just a challenge sort of um, making sure to keep myself strong enough at the age that I'm at right now. And right now I'm in my mid-50s. So keeping myself strong enough and keeping my voice strong enough, that's the real challenge now. And just stepping up wherever I'm asked to do so, you know? Yeah. You don't look a day over 21. Don't worry about it. What's that? You don't look a day over 21. Don't worry about it. Bless nice. your heart, Mike. <laughs> yeah. My wife so trained tough. me. My wife trained me well. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what brought the, what brought the band back together the first time around? Was there an offer made or were you guys just talking and saying, "Hey, let's, you know, give this another shot?" Well, I'll tell you this. I was at a um I was at a birthday party at a good friend of mine's house, and it was her daughter's, like, third birthday party. And I was sitting there talking to her husband um, about the band. And, and I think originally he had thought that it was kind of not that big a deal. And this was about, oh, 12 years ago or something. And he thought, well, I was in this little band. But then as I was talking to him, he got this idea that maybe it wasn't such a small thing. So he went into the other room and went online and typed in Taste of Iron, and all this stuff came up on the Internet. And what he found, one of the things he found was a a current review of the Resurrection album from a German website called Metal Treasures. And so he prints this off, and he brings it out into the living room to show me, and it just blew me away, you know. 
And I don't know, I think it was, I think Mark's mother came through my line at the grocery store and I was telling her about it. And then Mark and I talked about it and he said, well, maybe we should do this again. And I'm thinking, there's no way that I could sing heavy metal anymore. Yeah. And so then they all kind of got together and Mark Bakke, who was also an original member of Taste of Iron, although he wasn't on the Resurrection album, he was one of the founding members of Taste of Iron. And so Mark Bakke and Mark and I think it was Jeff, yeah. Mas- Jeff Massey, they all got together and they sat me down and they said, how about we try this again? And I said, there is no way I could sing that stuff anymore. And I finally yeah. I talked him into tuning down half a step. And with that, we started. With with Steve Gale as our guitarist. And Mark Bucky came and played a few concerts with us, but he lived in Cal- he lives in California actually quite a way away. And so he couldn't we couldn't maintain that forever, unfortunately. But so that's how it all started. You know, they say it's like, you know, when you ride a bike, you never forget, you get back on, you know how to ride again. Is it that easy with the music? Or did you guys sit there and just like say, I don't remember how to play this song. I just don't don't remember how this part goes. Well, really, for for me, most of the songs, you know, once I start playing them and, you know, you get into that that motion, it all comes comes screaming back. You know, there's, there's really none of the songs that we played that I can't play. So I can play all the, all the music. Um, you know, of course, we were bringing in other guitar players, and they have the daunting task of trying to play uh, Bill Pearson riffs, which is uh, which would not be fun. Not even yeah. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Bill Pearson is an amazing guitar player, and um, he originally, apparently, he originally was was playing lead in the band that he played in before us, and um, he saw we played in a band called Russ Bellant with a couple of other members, one being Steve Gale. And he saw us one night at Midland Hall and at that point decided to learn to play lead. And I, he wanted me as the vocalist and he was going to be the lead guitar. Yeah. So he was, he was actually the lead singer in uh, the band called Alexis. And that was his, his ambition was to be the lead singer. But once he saw Lorraine, he was like, um, I need to redirect this. And that's when he really started. <laughs> And he was a rhythm guitarist before then, and he sat down with his guitar 24-7. I mean, the dedication that that person had for playing guitar, he sat down with his guitar, his guitar 24-7. It was like the guitar never left his hands, and he wow. trained himself just this amazing lead guitar player. And all of that stuff is his baby. I mean, he, yeah, it's impressive. Uh, absolutely, but now when you have new guitar players coming to the band, I mean, is it, you know they always you know of course they want to express themselves, they have their own style, but yet you want to keep it true to as much as you can to the original sound of the band. So, is there a lot of back and forth saying you know you kind of have to play this this way, and you can't really you know add your own to it, or you just kind of give the new guitar player a little bit of free will to kind of maybe mix the both together? There's definitely a balance there. It has to it has to have some of the uh, you know it has to have some characteristics that that make you feel that the the leads you know when we're playing the old stuff, but there is room to uh, to add their you know their their own uh, you know artistical uh, endeavors in there. Yeah, I think 
It has to be that I I feel like the 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 riffs of the songs have to be recognizable by those people who know Taste of Iron. And beyond that, I think artistic license is allowed in, you know, guitar solos. Our guitarist Steve Stefanowitz now, he he lends these little riffs here and there even to you know, kind of the structure of the songs that just bring it to another level. And he puts his own guitar solos in there, and it's all really good. It's really fun. And it makes me smile every time I practice. <laughs> That's great. You know, because, you know, the, the old diehard fans are very finicky. If they don't hear the songs the way they remember them, they kind of get a little wacky. Yes. It's hard. Yeah, it's, it, it's a hard balance. I want to make sure that whoever plays with us has the opportunity to be themselves but but also honoring the the as much of the original material that makes the songs recognizable yeah i'm so happy that you guys are back together and a new record i mean can, can people still buy from you from the band directly is there a way of still getting it or you're just selling it at the shows at the moment we're just selling it at the shows um we plan to get an actual website set up we've been kind of working on a website for a while but we plan to get a website set up so we can actually sell you know via internet that's our hope at least yeah we have shirts and patches and cds that we'd like to be selling but uh the moment we're not (laughs) and uh, we'd like to get the name case of iron out there even more right now and also i don't blame you (laughs) yeah and also supply some of our long time um, supporters and fans with with some new merchandise. Well, with the new record, is everything on the record newly written, or did, were there any songs in there from back in the day that you kind of resurrected? It's a pretty uh, pretty balanced mixture of new and old. So there's uh, nine cuts on the record. Five of them are uh, older songs that have been redone, and four of them are new. But all of them are material. None of them are material that were on. Nothing was on the Resurrection album. Right. Yeah. Nothing on the Resurrection album. There's a Cold Dan Hell. Um, Metal Beast. Metal Beast is not on it. Okay. Cold Dan Hell, um, White Robe Man, and Rock On. That were all three songs that were intended for the uh, White Robe Man album. Okay. Nice. And there's uh, Taste of Iron that was the first out song that we ever recorded, but it was never released anywhere. And yeah, let's see the other one. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, Don't Look Away is another old, older Taste of Iron song that is on the EP that, re- that we released. Uh, but it's also on this album, another version of it, more refined uh, version of it. Then there's four new songs on it. Two that I wrote and two that uh, Steve Gale wrote. Now, I was just gonna say when you like the song "Taste of Vine," you said it was the first song you ever recorded. So that's like thirty-five, thirty-six years ago. Did did you try to keep it the way it was, or did you you know bring it into like you know the new era of music to what we're doing now? It's very similar to the way it was. The the structure of the song is the same. There were some things that Bill Pearson added into the original version of it. Um, that that we don't have on this version. It's uh, more cut and dried on this version. But this version, I think, in some ways is it 
it, it's more true to the contemporary case of Iron, Iron, who we were, you know, we have been in the last ten years. Yeah, and you know, a lot of bands, a lot of bands, that's an issue. Like they're they don't want to tinker with the old sound, but yet, you know, over twenty five, thirty years, you know, your musical taste change, stuff that you're interested in now changes. You know, your talent as a songwriter and a musician changes, so you want to kind of feature like you know what you're into now as well as kind of hold on to the old sound. Is it difficult trying to mix and meld the two together? Sometimes. Um, and sometimes I think, you know, sometimes I think, uh, you know, like sometimes I want to be more true to what it was. And then sometimes, you know, I'm willing to try something new. You know, it's, um, for me, sometimes it, I'm still really married to the way things used to be and should be, quote unquote. And um, I don't know. We we always seem to make it work, and we all like each other still, and <laughs> laugh a lot during practice. It, it hasn't any any issues we might have trying to meld the two have not resulted in any bad blood at all so well that's a good thing no <laughs> yeah that's definitely a necessary part of being together yeah yep. we're having fun we're not it's not result because i i hear stories of fans who just they fight tooth and nail over some of these things and i think we all realize that we just didn't want to go through that at this point you know in our lives so I, I was just talking about that with my, the guest that was on before you. We were saying, like, at this point in the time, it should be for fun. Nobody's going to become a millionaire. Nobody's going to get rich. Nobody's going to headline Madison Square Garden anymore. We, we have this great music that's been around for so long that bands like yourself have put out and recorded. We should just be enjoying it right now and having a good time, not letting anything bother anybody. Egos, money, anything. It should just be for fun at this point in our lives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I agree. For sure. And if we can make a little bit of money along the way, enough to pay our bills. Yeah, if we can, sure. You know, enough to pay for, we can, if we can break even, I'm I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice, like Lorraine said, to make a little bit of money. but I mean, Not be in the hole when we might. go and play a festival. It's nice to be able to, like, actually break even when, when we go and do something. <laughs> yeah. I, I would love yeah. to go play a festival in New York, but I'd, I'd like to break even. Right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> what a difference between now and like say 1982 where bands today like I would just love not to lose more than $100 going out and playing a live show <laughs> back then you were hoping just to get paid $100 to play a live show oh yeah well and we've been paid $100 to play a live show now I mean we <laughs> it certainly that's come up and you know sometimes it's like um, I know then we also figure in the fact that our drummer drives an hour to get to see us, an hour home, and you know we have, to, you know, how long will it take us to get to these places, and how much gear do we have to pack, and all that kind of. So, you know, now becomes now those things become more of an issue too. Packing gear around in your fifth very different from packing gear around in your twenties. Tom and I's uh, are are saying is, you know, you don't have to pay us to play, but you do have to pay us to pack the equipment. And that's, <laughs> yeah. it's gonna go- He's five hundred dollars to get back the equipment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
They're carrying yeah. that stuff. <laughs> I know it's a lot different than it was back in there when we were younger, but listen, I'm glad you guys are out there that you're still doing it. And when you're ready to release all this merchandise and this record, please let me know where people can buy it. I would be more than glad to post it so that they can get a hold of it because there's no way people should not be buying Taste of Iron merchandise and the new record these days. Thank you so much, Mike. And I will definitely so uh, appreciate that. get a copy of it in the mail to you so you can uh, hopefully play it on the show. I and, will and absolutely do that. Me. And tell tell Thank me what. What's that? I heard you say, and don't forget to tell me something, and I, we got cut off. Oh, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, thank you it's so my much pleasure. For having... oh. It was really thank great you to guys. talk to you again. You too, and I hope that so I do get to see you here in New York one day soon. I'm going to do my best to make that happen with some promoters over here, so that way you do break even, <laughs> at least coming to the city. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, Lorraine. Thank you, Mark. Have a great night. I'm going to play a couple of songs, and then it's time to go to watch TV. It's 90 Day Fiance tonight. It's Sunday. I can't wait. Right on. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, right. I'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye. All Bye. right, Mark Glaive, Lorraine Gill from Taste of Iron, one of my all-time favorite bands. We did the gates. You know what? Let's play something off the EP. Here's Metal Beast. <laughs>
Ray Gun. I love that record. The song No Control. That album came out, I want to say, 1987. I figured since we were in Seattle, Washington, in that area, talking with the Taste of Vine, I played another band from the Washington area. That was Ray Gunn with the two ends at the end. Uh, I really enjoyed that record. It was a self-titled record from 87. That's all the band put out. Never heard from them again. The guitar player's name was Ray Gunn. I think it was uh, Dr. Rich Hammer was the bass player. Uh, Scott Vogel was the drummer. He went on to go play in Reverend uh, with the... What do you call it? The singer from Metal Church. I'm just drawing a blank here right now. <laughs> David Wayne, I'm sorry. Uh, this was all before he passed away. He was on that first EP. Some good stuff over there, I have to tell you. All right, we're going to wrap it up here tonight. we got about a little less than 10 minutes left in the show. We'll do one or two more songs. I want to thank all of our guests tonight. Heidi Black from Blacksmith, Mark Glabe and Lorraine Gill from Taste of Iron. I'm looking forward to hearing that new record, and I hope they can get it out there for everybody else. Nobody should miss really good music like that. Next week, it's July 1st. It's actually my daughter's birthday next week. She'll be 24 years old, and she gets married a few weeks right after that. So it's a busy summer for us here. Uh, who do we have on next week? I never even looked to see. We kinda, we're kind of going to kind of take it easy for July. We usually have two or three guests on a week, but right now I just have one guest a week booked. We're going to focus on a lot of music over the month of July, and if other guests happen to come into town, We'll book them. But I believe Tasso Bauer from uh, Leaves Eyes and Atrocity is going to be on the show next week. Uh, Atrocity has a brand new record out, so we're going to be playing that and talking to him. I know uh, my new favorite band is this band called Leather Bitch. Uh, from the Portland area. Great band. Matt McCourt from the Wild Dogs turned me on to these guys, and I have not stopped playing the music since then. Um, we're going to have Joel Stair, the singer from the band, on. I think he is on the 15th. I'm not sure. And we got our friend John Macko from Fifth Angel calling in, and a few other guests lined up. I'll let everybody know who's on next week, and uh, I'll see you guys then. So let's wrap it up with two songs here, back to back. How about we do some Snow White? Turn up the pain, and then we close it out with trauma. I kill for less. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. I will see you next Sunday night. Good night, everybody.
Yeah, I walked the dog, gamed a little, played a little frog. What does your morning commute sound like? Hi, welcome to McDonald's. Can I get a sausage McMuffin with egg and a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit, please? Kids back up, went back home, and I went to... Here you go, Jim. Here's to making your morning routine a little better. Right now, mix and match two select breakfast sandwiches, like a bacon, egg, and cheese McGriddles, a sausage McMuffin with egg, or a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit for just $4. Breakfast at McDonald's. Single item at regular price at participating McDonald's for a limited time.